3: Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport as the international excursions come to an end and it's a return to domestic bliss. And now we're ready to go. Game Day returns to your radio and it's bigger and bolder than ever before. Harry Kane scores for Tottenham Hotspur.
2: Being consistent is what we are focused on and we have to keep on going. And Arsenal... Slipping to their third successive defeat with no
4: goals scored. You
3: cannot ask to be patient, you know. They want to see the team winning. Norwich still looking for a point. Coming up with European football expert Kevin Achard and TalkSport's transfer guru Alex Crook. Canaries plan to get gunners in a flap. Ronaldo is back as United go into seven heaven. Lukaku's scare. And ahead of a little trip to Leicester, City turn to a wily old fox. All ten games previewed in depth. From TalkSport, it's the Game Day Podcast.
2: This is game day.
3: Well, unlike Gareth Southgate, um, we ain't afraid to use our subs. Darren Lewis either looking tired towards the end of the first month of the season, or has breached quarantine regulations. As a result, Kevin Hatchard is here. Hello, hello. I'm I'm ready like a coiled spring. This is my big chance that I've been waiting for. We know we've got such great strength in depth. Now we can call upon you whenever. Require. Did you have an interesting
2: international break? What did you get up to? Uh, I did. Uh, I went to Wembley. I took uh, both kids to see uh, Mighty Andorra vanquished. Uh, Rishi, who's my son, uh, has never been uh, to Wembley before, so he was delighted. He he thought that was brilliant. And uh, my daughter's now been four times wow. seeing England. She has seen them win all four times. She has yet to see them concede a goal. Oh, well, they don't concede too many goals,
3: do they? But they did concede on Wednesday night, very late on, as they tired in Warsaw. Alex Crook is here as well. Um, Who else is going to be missing over the course of this first week back in the Premier League alongside Darren Lewis?
4: Well, we know the Argentine quartet, uh, the two Emilianos, uh, Messrs. Martinez and Buendia won't be available for Aston Villa and uh, so too Christian Romero and Giovanni Lo of Tottenham. They were the two clubs that Broke ranks, really, and allowed their players to travel to Brazil, even though it was a red country. didn't work out particularly well um, for those four players. And there's a row brewing, isn't there, between uh, the Brazilian Football Federation and various Premier League clubs. If the Brazilian Football Federation get their way, then Manchester United, Manchester City, uh, Liverpool, and Leeds United will be all be affected, basically, uh, those clubs, for not releasing their players. The Brazilian Football Federation want the likes of Fred, Uh, and Rafinha and Roberto Firmino uh, not to be able to play for their clubs this weekend. I know the Premier League chief executive, uh, Richard Mars, is working hard to find a solution. And I think they need to find a solution because, of course, we've got two more upcoming international breaks.
2: This was always coming because the moment that the South American authorities decided to have an extra Copper America it was always going to squeeze the schedule. And the Brazilian players have said this for quite some time. They made it known that they effectively played that Copper America under protest. And what it's done is it's put them in a situation where to get this mammoth schedule of games in South America which is always brilliant by the way the South American World Cup qualifiers are always tremendous fun but they're having to squeeze three games into an international break where there should only really be two because you've got to think as well with South America the travel not just in terms of going over from Europe to South America but then travelling within South America Mm -hmm. the the journeys are massive and so this was always going to be a crunch point so I'm fascinated to to see what actually happens in terms of whether a solution can be found because it's a mess at the moment because they're trying to carry on as if we're not in the middle of a pandemic and we're still very much in the centre of a pandemic. So Um, it's crazy, really.
3: I think FIFA really should have come up with a solution prior to the international fixtures starting again about how they were going to deal with all these qualifications. And I don't think it would have been a bad idea to remove them from the calendar and put them all in at a later date. I don't think that you can necessarily be arbitrary about who can travel where and who has to remain in their domestic leagues, but I think you can certainly put in place a a window where maybe, instead of having three different international breaks over the course of the first half of this season... You could have just had one big international break in December or in November, whenever it was going to be, and therefore all of these issues would would have a limited impact on the rest of the competitions that these players play in. Uh, certainly, it is going to cause a problem for Manchester City if Edison can't play in goal, and similarly for Man- uh, for Liverpool as well if Allison can't play in goal. And I wonder already whether managers are thinking about what's going to happen in the Champions League next week, because Chelsea play on Tuesday and Manchester United on Tuesday and if those two clubs are denied the use of their Brazilian players, they will not be able to play in that first Champions League game. Liverpool play on Wednesday and so do Manchester City. But let's get to game day, because we've got 10 games to look ahead to, and start with Chelsea against Villa. Well, it was supposed to be a bit of a thriller, but has the international travel mean that it's a bit of a mood killer? Victor by Havertz across the
2: goalkeeper and in, and Chelsea have stolen a lead.
0: We have the feeling that we have something to prove. We have hunger, and we want to close the gap that existed, that simply existed. Plays inside
2: to Lukaku, chipped it over the goalkeeper right at the end of the half.
0: Chelsea's squad is off the charts is absolutely outstanding. El Khazi puts Villa in front, it's a right foot perler. We will
2: progress from week to week, I'm, I have no doubts about that, but not being anywhere near our best uh, or anywhere near where I want us to be. Villa's transfer window was a success. They redeployed the money
4: very well, Bought some very decent players. Danny Ings will get you goals. Danny Ings does score, one touch to control, the next to dispatch an angled shot just inside the far post.
3: Aston Villa will be missing Emi Buendia and Emi Martinez as they travel to take on Chelsea who have a question mark over Romelu Lukaku, have a question mark over Saul Niguez. Uh, But on the evidence of what we have seen so far, Chelsea should have too much even without James who's suspended as well. This is our 5.30 game on Saturday. Are we confident, Alex Crook, of a Chelsea victory here or could Aston Villa cause them a few issues as they did at the end of last season? Well, I guess it depends which Aston Villa turn up. If the Aston Villa side who stunk the
4: place out of Watford on the opening day takes the field, then you would be confident of a Chelsea victory. But I think their performances have improved since then. Danny Ings seems to have adjusted seamlessly to, to life at Villa Park and will always carry a goal threat. Oli Watkins nearing full fitness. I think Buendia uh, will be a blow, particularly with Leon Bailey not 100% fit. So, yeah, I think, I think this is a game that most people would expect Chelsea to win, but I don't think it will be as comfortable as their matches so far. I do think this is, uh, you know, a step up on, on on Crystal Palace at home. Obviously, the Liverpool game, when they played so well with 10 men, we didn't really get the opportunity in the second half to see their full attacking prowess. Lukaku would be a, a big blow, although I suspect he probably will be fit. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I think it's um, it's arguably one of the games of the
3: weekend. Chelsea were excellent as they dug in against Liverpool, and prior to that, easy wins against. Palace and Arsenal, Kevin. Uh, But it will be a slightly different game for them this weekend in front of their home crowd and an opportunity for Romelu Lukaku uh, to to shine in front of the Stamford Bridge crowd for the first time. If he's thick, there is a bit of a worry about a thigh injury that he's had.
2: Yeah, so he was suspended anyway from the final uh, game for Belgium against Belarus. But he does have this minor thigh injury that they're going to take a look at. He's going to have a scam on that. But I think what is probably heartening for Chelsea fans is that... Even if he's out, they have so many options across that front three and and however they want to play. And I know Timo Werner on the banter accounts will, you know, take a lot of stick for that miss uh, against Iceland for Germany. But he scored in all three of their international games. Hansi Flick keeps picking him from the start for Germany. He's played in all the big games for Tuchel last season. And it, it could be a big few weeks for him because obviously Lukaku's arrival puts extra pressure on him. But in a way, if Lukaku's banging in goals, it just allows him to play the more all-round game that we know he's capable of. So i will be interested to see how he does there. But I still believe Chelsea are the title favourites for me. I still think that they uh, are in a great position to win it. And I was so impressed at Anfield with the way that they played. Uh, Edwin Mundy, the goalkeeper, superb. But just uh, the way they didn't panic, the way they posed a threat, the temptation, I think, when you've got ten, sometimes is to really dig in and not pose a threat and stretch the game. But they were willing to do that. I thought it was a fantastic performance.
3: I think we made a mistake. I, I, I think we should every time we start talking about Chelsea with Kevin Hatchard, we should start by playing the German national anthem halfway <laughs> through. Uh, because I even got to Kai Havertz yet. He he, he he has to stick up for Timo Werner even when nobody has said anything about Timo Werner. Um, So before we move on, would you like to talk about Kai Havertz setting up Timo Werner uh, in that game in midweek for Germany as well? Just to to make sure that we're 100% across the German angle. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Don't forget Rudiger. Oh, Rudiger scored as well. Quick, mention that. Flying header, training ground routine, lovely stuff. Um, And yes, Havertz showing uh, that he's uh, willing to be a team man, and even when he's not at his best, still making a tangible effect on the game.
3: the German national anthem. (laughs) I love it when it's being sung with gusto. Um, From the Aston Villa angle, though, um, they will be quite happy if Romelu Lukaku's thigh scan comes back and he's got a bit of an issue and they decide to rest him and wait for the Zenit St. Petersburg game on Tuesday night, which is also live on Talk Sport. Um, That Villa attack, they signed three players to replace Jack Grealish. You mentioned Leon Bailey, not 100%. Will it take a while for them to blend together? They've only had 28 shots so far, Alex.
4: Yeah, possibly. Um, Always big boost to Phil. I thought Jack Grealish was exceptional in the second half of the England game against Poland in midweek, really showed why uh, Manchester City were willing to break the bank for him. But as I say, Danny Ings doesn't seem to have had a problem uh, adjusting with that overhead kick and, and a penalty as well. So... No, I think Dean Smith is, uh, is is fairly confident of a good season for Aston Villa, despite the fact they got off to a poor start. I think they've invested the money wisely. I mean, Leon Bailey's an interesting one because Kev will tell us he's got all the talent in the world, perhaps not the application. So uh, I think he is going to be a work in progress.
2: I think he's matured. Uh, I think that certainly happened in the last year or so. Uh, he says that becoming a father was a big uh, part of that. I think he admits that he didn't, always have full focus and there have been several examples of that. There've been examples in games where he's got himself sent off in big derby games for Leverkusen. But I think this is a big opportunity for him to show the Leon Bailey that he can be rather than the Leon Bailey that he thought he should be. I think earlier in his career, He had his head turned. He thought, I'm going to turn out for Real Madrid. I'm going to play for the biggest clubs. And then he's had a bit of a reality check since then. So I think this is actually a really big opportunity for him in the Premier League.
3: Uh, Chelsea pretty tight defensively, but they have got an incredibly stacked midfield now and a frightening attack. There's so many weapons. Um, I can't believe they signed Saul Niguez. I mean, you look at their midfield now and you just, you know, it's eye-watering really the options that they've got available to them. Um, But one thing that sort of keeps perturbing me, and that is the continuing injury issues of Christian Pulisic. Obviously, he's had COVID this year. He had injuries that dogged him last year. And I understand that why he's been away on international duty this time, Kevin, he's picked up another little niggle.
2: Yeah, and it is a concern for him because he really does need to have a run of games where he can show Thomas Tuchel that he's reliable because what he doesn't want to be is just one of many and just a fringe player. I think he's got immense potential. I don't think we've seen the real Pulisic so far. I think he has had a lot of bad luck. I think when you get a lot of muscle injuries, uh, you know, a lot of players will tell you that once you have one, it's then very difficult because it just happens again and again and again. So this is a big season for him. Talked about it being a big season for Leon Bailey. It's a big season for him too. And The other thing he has is that when he does go away to play for the States, who are not in tip-top shape, yes, they beat Honduras, but in general, you know, it's a bit touch-and-go for qualification for the World Cup for them. All of the pressure's on his shoulders. He's the best player by such a big distance in that US team. And so he's kind of got those twin pressures of trying to be a regular for Chelsea if his body allows him to, but also really putting that US team on his shoulders.
3: And Arsenal slipping to their third successive defeat with no goals scored to start the season. It has never happened before.
1: Booze ringing around the Emirates.
3: You cannot ask to be patient, you know. They want to see the team winning. That's the passion, that's football, and, and it should be like that, no other way.
4: I'd be embarrassed is what I'd be, and I'm sure they all are. I'm sure they all, all want to just close their doors, turn their phones off. You don't want to see your side bottom of the league. There's lots of big, big clubs who've gone through this period where they've struggled a little bit, but it's how you
0: respond to when you're struggling. Norwich still looking for a point for their next game. is against Arsenal. It would be of course great for the, for the mood. Great for the confidence, and also great for the table. So it's always uh, important to get off the mark. Puki
4: Oh, what a goal! Zibu Puki volleys Norwich in front. If Norwich win that game, Arteta's got
3: to go surely. Let's move on to Arsenal against Norwich, also on game day, Saturday at three o'clock. We'll get to Ronaldo in just a second, don't worry. Uh, it's difficult to pin down, though, isn't it, which of these two had a worse start to the season? But there's no doubt who's under more pressure, Crook.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think Arsenal have had the worst start to the season, um, yet to score a goal, three successive defeats. I think Norwich actually played okay, particularly uh, in the game against Leicester, maybe a bit unfortunate not to take a point from that. So all the pressure. Will be on the home side, but I, I've seen a, a suggested best starting Arsenal 11 uh, on an Arsenal fan site. And if they can get those 11 on the pitch, and I would include Aaron Ramsdow, by the way, I think he will start ahead of Bernd Leno um, this weekend. Arsenal's 11 should be too strong for Norwich, but I guess if, if you're Norwich and you can get an early goal, that atmosphere could turn toxic very quickly because there are a lot of unhappy Gunner supporters at the moment but I do think Arsenal will find a way to win this game and alleviate some of the pressure that clearly is building on the shoulders of Mikel Arteta.
3: When you say you think Aaron Ramsdale is going to start, isn't that because he's going around telling everyone that's the case? <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. But I,
4: I mean, I think it would have been a hard game to throw him into against Manchester City. They're on a hiding to nothing there, really. If Ramsdale started, his Arsenal career would have began picking, out, picking the ball out of the net four or five times as Bert Leno. Had to do. I didn't think Leno was great in that game. I don't think Leno's been a great player for Arsenal ever since he came in. So I would be surprised, having spent the money they have on Aaron Ramsdale and the fact he did well, albeit against West Brom's D team uh, in the League Cup, if Mikel Arteta doesn't put his faith in the uh, in the England international.
3: He did have a bit of a wobble in the early part of that game, but he recovered well. Um, interesting, you mentioned Bert Leno. I mean, I think the statistics will sort of bear out what you're saying. Arsenal have kept just one clean sheet in their last nine home matches. That's a particular problem, isn't it? If you're not keeping clean sheets at home, where are you going to keep them? And Norwich have had a really tough start, Kevin, haven't they? With Manchester City, Liverpool, uh, FA Cup winners, Leicester. There's been snipers having a go at the way they operate. Um, Alex Crook has (laughs) been having a right old go at them, apparently. I mean, I hadn't seen much about it, but from what I read on the Norwich forums, he's the most hated figure in Norwich uh, (laughs) since uh, Marcus Stewart. Um, What do you think about their prognosis for the rest of the season. It's a
2: really difficult one Sam because they they talked about being more defensively stable this time. than uh, Daniel Farker certainly felt that was the case in the championship last season, but they've looked so naive defensively in in their first few games. And that is a real concern because you know, they like to play attacking football, they like to generate chances, but the problem they're going to have is that they just don't have those match winners to drag them out of trouble if they're conceding in every single game. So the communication has to be better. The organisation has to be better. And at the moment, it, it doesn't look great, but there is a long you know, time to turn that around. And if they can get something out of this game, if they can avoid defeat in this game, that will feel psychologically like a massive step forward. I think it's really interesting that Edu, the you know Arsenal sporting director, essentially, is talking about having to clean the squad and having to bring in this influx of players who are 23 or under. Now, that's a, a damning indictment on, on some of the senior players there, because if you're effectively saying the culture's wrong and that, you know, this is a dysfunctional unit, that's quite a strong message to send to players. And it just see, says to me that. It's going to be a season of pain yet again for Arsenal, despite the fact they've spent you know, a pretty big sum of money. Well, more than anybody else in the Premier League,
3: that is for sure. Um, are we actually expecting goals in this game, bearing in mind that Arsenal are yet to score one and Norwich have only scored one goal from the spot? Um, between them, though, I suppose, Crook, they have conceded 19. I was going to say, it's the other end of the pitch. that's a real concern. I think Ben
4: White will probably be available for Arsenal. That will be a boost for them. I'm just reading, actually, that Emil Smith-Rowe is, is a doubt because he's carrying an illness. That will be a real blow um, in terms of chance creation because I think he's such an integral part now of the team uh, that Mikel Arteta has put together. Although I do think possibly, and well, I'm interested to get your views on this, that his ability perhaps is, is being overstated. The way that Arsenal fans... Talk about Emil Smith Rowe. It's like they found the new Diego Maradona. And I do wonder uh, if you put Emil Smith Rowe in an Arsene Wenger Arsenal team at
3: their pomp in the Invincibles. By the way, does he even get in the eleven? Well, if he's that good, which everybody believes he, he, he could be, I think he's quite a talented player, and I'm sure that he'll go on to have a great career. If he was that good, why did they sign Erdegaard?
2: Well, yeah, it's it's an interesting one because they clearly do lack creativity in that area, and they clearly felt that. Erdogan made a big difference last season. I think it's very, very important that they don't heap too much pressure on Smith Row. I agree with you guys. I think there's talent there. I think there's potential there. But it is a dysfunctional football club at every level at the moment. The, the transfer policy is muddled. I know they're saying they're going for youth now, but I think they've made some very, very strange decisions already in that regard. The team is not working well. The manager's under pressure. I think he sends mixed messages sometimes. I think there'll be games where they've clearly been outplayed. And sometimes he'll come out and say, I thought we played really well. It was just about the details. So (laughs) I I think it's a really really difficult arena for him to kind of grow up in football-wise. So he's under a huge amount of pressure and I think it's important that Arsenal as a club and as a fan base don't put him under too much pressure. I'm
3: a little bit concerned about Bakayou Saka if I'm completely honest because he's such a wonderful player and such a, a great talent and, and he's been superb for England ever since coming into the setup a year ago. The idea that he's going to end up playing in a club which as you say is at the moment comes across as being quite dysfunctional is a real worry and you do sort of think, you know, from a From an English selfish point of view, wouldn't it be much better if he was somewhere else getting coached properly, regularly and um, feeling as if he was part of something that was going, a part of a team that was going to achieve something rather than one that's just about trying to keep its head above water, which it very much feels as if Arsenal are. It is a bottom of the table clash, this. Arsenal bottom, Norwich a second bottom. It kicks off at three o'clock and it is live on Talk Sport 2 this Saturday. Elsewhere at Old Trafford, hmm, What's happening there?
4: Ronaldo into in for five. The club has reached agreement with Juventus for the transfer of Cristiano Ronaldo. The deal is done. He knows what we feel about him.
1: And if he was ever going to going to move, he knows that we're here. It's box office. That's what it is, it's box office.
3: He's returned to Portugal. Cristiano Ronaldo
4: has just produced one of those magical European moments. I now genuinely believe they've got a chance of winning it.
0: Definitely makes the Premier League more exciting. Having someone like said of that quality coming back to the Premier League.
1: It's made my day. It has made my day. And his agent, he can be my agent. The group chat's going off saying he's back at United. He's a missing piece to the jigsaw.
0: The prodigal son. He's coming home. Do you know something? He's going to win us the league.
3: Vivo Ronaldo. Yes, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo returns after 12 years away, but he will only have one or two training sessions. Uh, so will he start, Alex Crook? I'd be amazed if he doesn't start the game. Can you imagine that conversation, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer
4: <laughs> pulling Ronaldo to one side on Friday and saying, by the way, I'm going to start you on the bench tomorrow. I think Ronaldo uh, will be telling uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer who he wants to support him in the attack rather than the other way around. I'm not concerned by the fact he's only had a couple of training sessions we saw when he tore off his shirt in celebration having broken the international goals record for Portugal, he is an absolute specimen. This is not your average uh, 36-year-old. I can't wait, not just as a Manchester United supporter, but I think the whole of the country, the whole of the Premier League should be embracing this because uh, English football has played host to some of the best foreign talent around. But for the past few years, we've had to see the two best players, uh, Lionel Messi and Ronaldo, ply their trade in other divisions. I think there's a case to be made for Ronaldo This Ronaldo being the biggest superstar
3: the Premier League has ever seen. Anticipation is really high. uh, And I know this because, obviously, it's very difficult to get a ticket. Um, I know one Manchester United legend, and when I say legend, I mean legend with a capital L, who was trying to get tickets for the game and was basically told it's almost impossible to get them in i think they did get him in eventually because he was a manchester united legend but like it was it was touch and go um uh, the interest is incredibly high the shirt sales are through the roof the value of the club itself has gone up by, I think, around about 200 million or something ridiculous like that. Uh, Clearly, he is a a superstar. He's an attractive business proposition as well as someone who they can look to on the field of play. It'd be interesting to see how the others around him adapt to him coming into the dressing room. Because there will be some, Kevin, that look up to him, think, wow, this is amazing, and do their best to, to drink in every bit of advice, watch everything that he does and try and take on board how they can better themselves. And there'll be others whose noses are out of joint because he's come in and, and conceivably taken a place in the squad that they thought would be theirs. Yeah,
2: these are the question marks. Because you look at somebody like Mason Greenwood, in theory... He should benefit from this because he can see Ronaldo's professionalism. He can see the way he looks after himself, the way he scores goals, all the technique, and that should be beneficial. However, is Ronaldo arriving going to block his progress? You know, he's just become only the second teenager in Premier League history to score in his first three games of, of the season and was playing very well. And so you look at somebody like Edinson Cavani, who's doing a very, very good job for United, I felt, as somebody who was a penalty box poacher and somebody who could make things happen and somebody who was already kind of improving some of those young players around him. In terms of being a goal scorer, there's no doubt Ronaldo's absolutely that. You know, 81 league goals in three seasons for Juve, 14 in Champions League. The question is... Did he improve Juventus as a team? I would say he didn't. I would say they were further away from winning the Champions League at the end of his time there than they were when he started. That was rather the reasons, though, was it? Or- yeah, partially. Uh, partially coaching. I-, I think there were errors yeah. in terms of hiring coaches. Uh, I think there were problems in terms of other players not performing in the way that they should have. But the concern is, does he become the central figure at the exclusion of all else? And really important, what Crookie just said about Solskjaer. I think Ronaldo will be telling him, I know it's tongue in cheek, but I, know, I think Ronaldo will be telling him I don't who he wants to support him in the attack. Now, that could be an issue. He's a massive personality. He's a massive superstar. And I don't think Solskjaer is on the strongest footing in terms of, is he the right man to take that football club forward? So be fascinated to see that dynamic
3: going forward. Uh, Ronaldo scored five goals in 10 games against Newcastle in his first spell. Will he get off the mark again? Of course, he's not the biggest Manchester United legend that's uh, going back to Old Trafford uh, this weekend because Steve Bruce is coming back as well Um, he's probably (laughs) still smarting from the 96 minute equaliser against Southampton although uh, from what I understand it he's had a bit of a holiday since then and given his players quite a few days off is that right?
4: Um, I think when you give players time off, as Steve Bruce has done, it it goes one or two ways. If they turn up at Old Trafford and get a positive result, then the fans will suddenly say, well, you know, maybe the players needed a break. If it goes the other way, and I fear it might, I could see a a heavy Newcastle defeat in this one, even without the presence of Cristiano Ronaldo, then undoubtedly the Toon army will use that as another stick uh, to beat Steve Bruce with. You're right to point out his legendary status at Old Trafford. He'll get a warm welcome, I'm sure. But in terms of... Ronaldo's goal record against Newcastle I'm pretty confident not only would he score in this game I think he'll score twice I'd
3: be surprised if he doesn't come away with a brace Uh, Newcastle uh, haven't improved their squad over the summer in fact arguably it's got worse Kevin I do fear for them
2: Yeah, I do too. Uh, And it's interesting because you speak to the kind of data guys, you look at expected goals and all of the metrics and all of that stuff. And they've been saying for the past couple of seasons... They were terrible last year. They should have been relegated. That's it. That's it. You know, they've been a team that has... Kind of, if you look at all of their underlying numbers, they should have gone down by now. Yeah. And, and you just wonder if that's catching up with them. I know they did this big statement to explain what happened in the transfer market, and they basically diverted all of the money to signing Joe Willock. And that's just really unconvincing. I don't think anybody really uh, believes that. I mean, we've seen them do the bare minimum. In the transfer market over the past few seasons, and I do think they're in trouble, and they rely on a very select group of players to provide any kind of inspiration. Callum Wilson, Alan San Maxima, Almiron, as well. And when one of those, when one or two of those guys are out, as they could be this weekend, mm. suddenly they're in big trouble going forward. Uh, Crystal
3: Palace against Spurs is twelve thirty on Saturday, and it's live on Game Day. Spurs are yet to lose, yet to concede a goal, but. Can a former Arsenal Invincible change all that, Alex Crook?
4: Well, I've still not been convinced by Spurs. I made this point on the boot room a couple of weekends ago. If you look at their performances, it's still a bit stodgy. It's still Mm. a bit Jose Mourinho-esque, which I guess uh, Wolves fans will tell you that's how it finished with Nuno uh, in his final season in charge at Molineux. I actually think this could be a difficult game uh, for Tottenham. Crystal Palace will take a lot of confidence, a lot of belief uh, from the fact that they came back from twice behind to get a point against West Ham. Conor Gallagher, excellent in that game. They've bolstered their attack with odson Edward. We would expect him to make his debut. I think there are signs that this Palace team under Patrick Vieira are just beginning to gel. I don't think Tottenham win this game. I can see a, a, a score draw, maybe another uh, 2-2 as at the London Stadium.
3: I actually think it's it's quite a good move, isn't it? The odson Edward transfer. I mean, they need someone who can score goals. I mean, he's not... Oh, I'm, I'm, brilliantly prolific I mean 18 goals from 31 Scottish Premiership games last season 22 from 27 I mean it's it's pretty solid goal return although people will always throw at you yeah but that's for Celtic in Scotland uh, in the Scottish Premiership but if you need a finisher which they clearly do and they make a few extra chances which last year was a problem because Roy Hodgson was safety first then this gives them a great opportunity I think they're going to win this game you know Kevin
2: I, I, I'm more convinced by what Tottenham have done than Alex is. I actually thought, if you look at the Manchester City game, I thought, apart from the first 15 minutes or so, I actually thought they played really well. I thought they were solid when they needed to be, but I thought they posed a threat. I think they got, got battered by Wolves, though, Kevin, didn't they? I mean, they got absolutely ripped apart yeah. by Wolverhampton Wanderers. Yeah, but then you look at the quality of some of the shots that Wolves had, you know, for all of the activity, for all they were busy in attack, they had that big trial rate chance that they should have made the most of. But how many big clear cut chances did they have? And I think, you know, that's against, you know, some really tough opposition. I think Spurs have made a, a terrific start. Harry Kane scored that brilliant goal for England against Poland. And that's just another little milestone for him. He's not quite where he wants to be, but he's getting there. You've got Heung-Min Son, 200 Premier League games now. I I don't understand why he doesn't get talked about more as one of the absolute superstars of the league. So consistent, makes goals, scores goals, has a great work rate. I I think he is a, a real star for them. I do think Edouard's a good signing for Palace. They've needed somebody like that. I think you look at Christian Benteke, he's just not a good enough finisher. I know he had a glass of goals towards the end of last season, but you know, you look at his career and you think, did he really get to where he should have done? And he's just his finishing just lets him down far too often. Obviously, they've got some great young talent injured at the moment as they still out. Um, so I I actually think you look at Palace's record, they've not won any of their last 12 Premier League games against Spurs, I know they've drawn the last couple at Selhurst Park, but I actually think Tottenham can win this.
3: Uh, Tottenham have scored in 13 of their last 15 league away games, and they've kept a clean sheet in just three of their last 15 league away games, so it, it points to a rather entertaining game. I'm not convinced by the Tottenham defence, despite despite the fact that they've kept clean sheets in all of their matches so far. Just the personnel, it looks to me like very well organised, brilliant, fantastic. But at some point, someone in that back four is going to let you down. I know they've signed Romero, but he's not going to be able to play this weekend again, isn't he? He's another one of those who's not going to be available. What about Davinson Sanchez? Have we got a definitive on whether he's going to be available or not yet?
4: Well, Romero is an interesting one because with the uh, you know two upcoming international breaks, assuming that quarantine regulations don't change, Tottenham fans might not really get to see the best of him in, until at least the end of the year, if not the turn of the next year. I'm sure that's a source of frustration uh, for Nuno. And as much as Tottenham, along with Aston Villa, broke ranks and let their players go, I think Nuno from his post-match uh, press conference was uh, <laughs> much less willing uh, to part with those two players maybe than Aston Villa were. And Davinson Sanchez is another one who may not be able to play uh, because he wasn't available uh, for those South American friendly. So Mm. a lot would depend on on Richard Masters' negotiation skills uh, with the uh, various football federations and with FIFA as well.
3: Yeah, the Colombian FA, I think, have asked similarly for him to uh, not play. And I think the Paraguayans have done the same with Almiron at Newcastle United, um, there's some big games that are being played at three o'clock on a Saturday. And Leicester City against Manchester City is another one of them. Look, look, the truth is that they've got issues as well in this regard, Manchester City, because Edison is one of those who could be banned by the Brazilian FA. Zach Stefan has picked up COVID whilst on international duty with the uh, USA international team. So Scott Carson. Remember him? Uh, last appearance at the end of last season against Newcastle, just because they wanted to get, make sure he got one Premier League appearance, uh, Considered three times during uh, that game, is going to play in goal. Does that significantly alter the possibility of a Leicester victory, Kevin?
2: Yeah, I think it does in a way, because it's not just Edison's goalkeeping ability. It's his ability on the ball. You know, he's so important for their build up play. Um, you know, there, there aren't many goalkeepers who've got a range of passing like he's got. And certainly so aren't think- that many with assists. Uh, No. So uh, with the best will in the world, Scott Carson's not going to be able to match him on that level. He's obviously a very experienced goalkeeper. I love it when you get third choice goalkeepers thrown into the fray. It's always great fun uh, to see uh, players that you'd even forgotten were at the football club uh, suddenly appear from nowhere. I mean, they could stick in Carl Walker if they're really worried, couldn't they? I mean, because he kept a clean sheet. That's right. And he seemed to really enjoy that as yeah, well. he did. He did an interview about it. He's done a few interviews about that, I think. Uh, so we might see him in goal. It's interesting if you look at last season, obviously that 5-2 hammering by Leicester was the low point of City season before they really clicked into gear. And that seemed to be a little bit of a catalyst for them last season. Leicester have made a decent start in terms of points, you know, six points from the first three games. Have they really played that well? Would be the question so far. You know, are they creating as many chances as usual? Are they looking as fluent as they would usually do? I still think they've done some great transfer business. Still think it's a really good squad. Obviously, they've got guys like Harvey Barnes, who was out for a long, long time. So it's going to take him a while, you know, to get to optimum level. But this will be a really good marker for where Leicester are at, I think. I hope that they performed
3: better than they did in their last couple of matches because I, I, I'm i with you. I don't think they've played particularly well. They were dismantled by West Ham United. Um, Charla Soyoncu had another night to forget on international duty with Turkey this week. He really has looked out of form at the beginning of this campaign. And defensively, that's where all the questions are for Leicester because of injury, because of COVID, because of so many other issues. I mean, Bertrand should be back for this game. But Soyoncu... He's really missing Johnny Evans, I think.
4: I don't know what was worse. Sionchu's performance in that thrashing by Holland when he uh, conceded a penalty and was sent off. Or your display on the chase, Sam. But uh, I think it's, uh, it's a close run thing. Brutal. Brutal. Outrageous. I
3: did brilliantly in the cash build around. I just I just wilted in front of the chaser.
4: <laughs> well, Sionchu is certainly uh, wilted because he's formed for Leicester this season hasn't been great either and that's a big problem because when you come up against a a team with the attacking prowess of Manchester City even without an out-and-out number nine you need your back line to be on the very top of their game I think you're right he's missed that partnership uh, with Johnny Evans he's looked a completely different player uh, without the Northern Irishman alongside him I agree with Kevin and it was a point I was going to make that I think um, it's not just in the the shot-stopping department that they're going to miss their number one goalkeeper I think in terms of starting attacks from the back as well that could be a problem but I've, I've been unimpressed with Leicester and their performances so far. I think they're going to have to up it tenfold to get anything from this game.
2: Just a point on Surinchi, by the way. I think he's not alone in terms of Turkish players who've had a bit of a hangover after the European Championship. Because I think that was a really brutal, kind of crushing experience for them. Because they went into that tournament... Being talked about as dark horses, I I fell into that. Trap. Did you say that? Gonna... I can't remember. Did Were you with yeah.
3: one tipping them? I think was it. Yeah. I think it was. Kev, was definitely it Kevin? Me. Was it definitely? I think it was. Yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely yeah. me. I thought they were going to do really well, and they yeah. were appalling. They, they were really <laughs> poor, and um, they. I think you look at a few players. I look at Zeki Jelic, who's another one at Lille. He's had a really poor start to the season, and I think that's understandable because these are young guys whose confidence was shattered uh, over the summer because they didn't just underperform. They were uh, absolutely dreadful and well beaten in all of their games. So yeah. I think it might take a while to get going. And obviously there was the Fafana injury as well in preseason. So, You know, Leicester have points on the boards, but not the performances to go with them so far. There is the curious
3: case of Dennis Pratt, who keeps getting called up uh, by Belgium internationally and actually scored for Belgium in the international break, uh, but uh, never ever seems to get into the Leicester City team. In fact, I think he's only played a handful of games in the last calendar year, some because of injury, but even when coming back to full fitness, he gets the odd appearance off the bench here and there. But Roberto Martinez trusts him completely and brings him into every squad, no matter what. It is a strange strange turn of events. (laughs) Talking of strange turns of events, hi Lucy. Hello, how are you?
1: I'm all right, yeah.
3: I hear you've got a bit of a headache.
1: Yeah, I haven't. This ain't helping, is it?
3: What, what do you mean this? What, <laughs> what?
1: Listening to you three.
3: What, Lucy, you're supposed to be the one who promotes us and, and pushes us out to other people. You can't moan about us.
1: No, but it is a great when I put it out I'm just talking about listening to the raw version oh
3: right okay so once you've edited it it sounds cracking right yeah
1: yeah
3: Yeah. okay Um, especially when you edit out all of the delays that we've had on uh, Alex Crook's line today because he's actually doing this from the beach (laughs) not quite the beach
4: I'm doing it from uh, Butlins Bognor Regis I'm actually currently sat behind the Helter Skelter uh, which maybe sums up this Premier League season indeed
3: Uh, right Luce what you got for us
1: Okay, so this week's Premier League quiz, we're going to take a look at Brentford against Brighton. Oh, okay. So, let's start... I think I'll start with you, Sam.
3: Okay. Is someone watching the chase in the background? Because I can, I can hear it's television.
1: It's alright, there's no buttons with this, you just got to speak.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, for people who don't know, I was on the, uh, the, the chase and I did fail to press a button. I, I missed the button when I was supposed to answer a question, which is what twice. they're referring to. Not twice, only once.
1: Yes, you did, because you you've, you didn't read the question properly, and you no. pressed the wrong button okay. as well. I,
3: there, was, there was that mishap too. Anyway, let's talk about anything else.
1: Anyway, so the last game between these two sides yes. took place in February 2017, and it ended in a draw, but what was the score? 2-2.
2: Oh, two, two.
1: Incorrect. <laughs> Kev?
2: I'm going to go for a 3-3.
1: Correct. Oh,
2: yes. <laughs> You're so lucky.
1: <laughs> right. Kev, now it's your turn. Okay. So Brighton weren't always known as the Seagulls. During the 1974-75 season, they were known as what?
2: <laughs> I know this. Come to me. Of course he knows this. this one of Anything South Coast-based. Um, they weren't the Seagulls before... They were simply Albion. There you go.
1: Incorrect.
2: Okay. The Dolphins. Dolphins. Yes. No, they were they Were They were the, the Dolphins. dolphins.
1: Yeah. Right, Crook, you were a bit funny with my questions last week, so I'm going to give you a stupidly tricky one. Excellent. So, Brentford are also known commonly as the Bees, so this week's curveball question is... During one trip out of the hive, how many flowers will a honeybee visit?
4: (laughs) That's ridiculous, isn't it? How many flowers will a honeybee
3: visit from one trip out of the hive? I mean, I don't even know. He's repeated that because his kids are around and he's got a really, really clever 11-year-old and he's trying to get information. I'm going to say... 200. God knows.
1: Incorrect.
3: I'm going to say one.
1: Just one flower?
2: Yeah,
1: stupid answer that Sam. Ted. <laughs>
2: uh, I'm going to say uh, 350.
1: Incorrect. It's between 50 and 100 flowers.
2: Oh, right. There you go. Well, Education
1: great a conversation. That, yeah.
2: Annoyingly, Sam was closest there with his one. Yeah. So do
3: I win by default?
1: No, because it was just it was just a stupid answer, Sam. So no one gets any points for that.
4: Okay. Well, he's given a few of them on national television of late.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Who watches Austin
2: Powers?
4: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I'd have got that one. I'd have got the Margaret Thatcher one that you forgot to answer. I got that one. I
3: just didn't press the button in time.
4: It's kind of the whole point in being there though, isn't it? All right. Didn't see you do it. (laughs) Actually, a friend of ours, Sam, um, my mate Terry, I played snooker with him this week and he said, I saw Sam on the chase. I said, oh yeah. He said "It was dreadful, wasn't
3: (laughs) (laughs) he? I've had a lot of that, funnily enough. (laughs)
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.
3: Leeds against Liverpool is Sunday at 4.30. Another attractive looking game. And Leeds tend to sort of raise their game for the big boys. Uh, Do we fancy them against an unbeaten Liverpool, Kevin? I
2: think the problem Leeds have got is that they probably won't have Rafinha available. We we don't know exactly how that's going to shake down the the negotiations at the moment. But as things stand, they're not going to have him. I know that Liverpool aren't going to have Fabinho. They aren't going to have Alisson if that's the case. But I do think Rafinha is really important to the way that Leeds play. Uh, I think Dan James is a really interesting signing because they ask a lot of their wide players. So it might take a little while uh, for him to really assimilate all of the information that Marcelo Bielsa wants to give him, although he's a player that Leeds have obviously been interested in for quite some time. It was interesting, Junior Fiopo who's gone there, the full from Barcelona, said he did more film study in two weeks at Leeds than he did in two years at Barcelona. So it just shows you what Bielsa demands of his players. I think this is going to be fast and furious. I think it's going to be very physical. If you look at the numbers from these two teams, they're in, they're, Two of the top three in the Premier League for the intensity of their press. How often they disrupt and how quickly they disrupt the opposition's build-up. So I don't think there's going to be room to breathe. I think it's going to be a fabulous game. I do think Liverpool are fair favourites because they really should have won this fixture last season. In really weird circumstances, it was at the height of the Super League debacle when Liverpool were... You know, being asked a lot of rightfully a lot of questions about their potential involvement in that. And Jürgen Klopp. There was a very odd reception
3: outside uh, Ellen Road for the team yeah. bus, wasn't there? That, and that yeah. sort of put them in a, a bit of a funk, really. But it was on the back of quite a few decent home performances by Leeds United. They've only lost once at Ellen Road since February. It's interesting what you say about Daniel James because I read an interview with him this week in which he said, I've been playing it a little bit safe. And in my position, that is dangerous. If there's one thing he won't be able to do under Marcelo Bielsa, Crook, it's play
4: safe. Yeah, I think that comes down to confidence um, with Dan James. I think it's really important that that Bielsa uh, puts his arm around him because there is talent there. I mean, he's got that blistering pace. He can score goals and go past defenders. He can turn defence into attack at rapid speed. I don't think fitness-wise he'll have any problem with murder ball and, and trying to implement the style of play that Bielsa wants to but I think he might just take a bit of cajoling because he, he won't be the the first player or the last to leave Manchester United and and, and maybe struggle to get going because listen, no offence to Leeds this is a step down for Dan James he wanted to, to go to Manchester United and cement himself in the first team wasn't able to do that that would have knocked his pride so I think it will be up to be Elsa to, to boost that confidence and get him playing with his chest puffed out. But I'm with Kevin in terms of the outcome of this game. I don't think so far Leeds have been quite the force this season they were last. I don't think Firmino is a, a massive blow for Liverpool because it enables Jota. Uh, to join that attack and he's been excellent so far this season so I think it will be an entertaining game but I think it will be one that Liverpool
3: will win I think Firmino was going to be injured anyway wasn't he I mean he picked up a slight hamstring in the game against Chelsea and he may well have rested him ahead of maybe the Champions League or maybe even left him out altogether for a little while in order for that to heal Uh, Salah looks in good shape Mane not so much but Jota as, as he's already mentioned is in terrific form he started the season like a train Kevin
2: Yeah, terrific. Uh, And I think we've seen what a high level he can play at since he's arrived at Liverpool. They were desperate for somebody who could be a genuine alternative to that front three. Because if you think of how much football they've asked those guys to play in the last few seasons, it's remarkable that they haven't missed more games, really. So to have somebody who's not just a, a bit part player who comes in here and there, somebody that you've got no problem at all putting into the... The starting 11, I think he's great. Uh, I thought he had some great moments for Portugal at the European Championship. I think he's become a really reliable option for Fernando Santos at international level. So, yeah, I think he's been a terrific signing and... It was a bit of a curveball when Liverpool signed him and people thought, OK, well, has he really hit the heights at Wolves? Is this a Liverpool player? But he's proven that he is. Yeah, and he did right from the very beginning. Southampton against
3: West Ham kicks off at three o'clock on Saturday. Pablo Fornals on form and scoring for Spain in midweek. He and West Ham have looked like continuing their rapid rise from last year. Antonio has already ruined Leicester and Newcastle. Can he do the same to Southampton, Alex Crook? He could well do. He's a former Southampton loan player, of course. They love him
4: down there. I think he was part of the team that won the uh, Johnston Pate Trophy uh, at Wembley. So it shows how far Southampton have come in a relatively short space of time and indeed how far Antonio has come as a a genuine number nine now. He played often as a winger and sometimes even in defence for Southampton. I think he sees himself as that main man Up front, he has all the attributes to to hurt this Southampton back line. And it's the start of a big week uh, for West Ham. I'm there for Talk Sport on Saturday, looking forward to it. And then I'll be commentating their Europa League opener on TalkSport 2 on Thursday night. That's a competition I think uh, David Moyes will want to take seriously. They did a bit of business in the transfer window. they look in good, Nick West Ham and Southampton yet to win a game. I think their performances maybe have uh, warranted more points than they've got on the board so far. I don't think they've been as bad as perhaps people expected to, given the number of key departures over the course of the summer. But this is going to be another uh, difficult ask, I think, for Ralph Hasenhutl's
3: fledgling young side Uh, West Ham finished the season strongly didn't they at the end of the last campaign on the road and Saints have only won three of their last 11 home matches and those victories were against Burnley Crystal Palace and Fulham it doesn't bode well also at 3 o'clock on Saturday Watford against Wolves now what price a 1-0 win for Watford because that is the scoreline Kevin by which Wolves have lost every match in the Premier League this
2: season Yeah, it's very confusing because you look at the performances and they've generally been pretty good. I thought they were great for big swathes of the game against Manchester United. I thought Traore played really well. It was a real threat. And obviously the goal that they conceded, they were a bit aggrieved about because they felt that Ruben Neves had been caught by Paul Pogba in the build-up and that it shouldn't have been a goal. But what I loved about it, was that Bruno Lage? afterwards could have ranted and raved about that. And he didn't. He just said, look, I'm really pleased with the way we're playing. Uh, I think we're playing attacking football. The players have taken in what I wanted them to in terms of the way I want to play. We want to be more adventurous. We want to score goals. And so I think it will take a while for them to hit top gear. But in terms of being sucked into a relegation battle, I just don't see that happening for Wolves. I think they'll be fine in the fullness of time. And I think he is a very interesting, intelligent and enterprising coach, Bruno Lage, And I'm hoping for him that actually this works.
3: Yeah, and I think it is worth pointing out that he is someone with experience of English football. A lot of people don't know him and are, are a bit surprised about where he has come from. But he was the assistant to Carlos Carvajal Uh, at Sheffield Wednesday and at Swansea City as well. So he he has got knowledge of the English game. He's experienced it. Um, Everton against Burnley is Monday night, 8 o'clock. It's the final game we're going to look at. Uh, Everton taken seven points from three games. They've beaten Saints. They've beaten Brighton, uh, two of the South Coast teams at Crookie Watches, and they've drawn at Leeds United. So far, so good for Rafa Benitez, Crookie.
4: Yeah, I have to say they've been one of the most impressive units that I've seen so far. As at the game against Brighton at the Amex. 2-0 certainly didn't flatter Everton. They looked defensively very stable. Um, They seem to have a a cohesion. They've got pace on the counter-attack with the likes of uh, Damari Gray and Andros Townsend. And I think it's going to be a very good season uh, once again for Dominic Calvert-Lewin because Rafa has moulded a team now that play to his strengths, obviously missed the England game uh, with a combination of a toe and a muscle injury. Everton will be hoping he will be fit for this weekend. Uh, They were busy on deadline day, Salomon Rondon uh, signing for Benitez for the third time. I think that's a decent (laughs) acquisition because they do need a a backup option for Calvert-Lewin and uh, Again, Rondon will fit their style. Still trying to shift on uh, James Rodriguez. He doesn't look particularly interested uh, in playing in the Premier League again anytime soon. And what's interesting, when you talk about all these unavailable players, and we should have mentioned that Raul Jimenez, uh, as it stands, won't be able to play for Wolves uh, because he didn't link up with Mexico. One player who is eligible to play is Richarlison. And basically, the reason for that is that Everton allowed him to go and play for Brazil at the Olympics in Tokyo. And as a result of that, the Brazilian Football Federation are returning the favour and where they're banning every other uh, Brazilian player who didn't link up with them from playing in the Premier League this weekend. They've said that Everton can Pick Richarlison.
3: I do worry that uh, whether or not the, the Brazilians at uh, uh, FA are going to try and ban everyone who's ever been to Brazil from playing. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think that everybody that is being banned was initially in TJ's squad. But anyway, I was in Brazil in 2014. Please don't ban me. Can, even if it gets rescinded, by the way, can I just make a
4: plea on behalf of the majority of Manchester United fans? Can they just ban Fred?
3: Hopefully for the rest of the season, please. Don't Poor be old so Fred. Cruel. Poor Getting Fred. He's all right, again. Fred. He's
2: great, Fred. You leave him alone. Poor old Fred. I was just going to make a point about Rafa Benitez. He is a world-class coach. I think, you know, if you look at the jobs that he's had, yep. if you go back to Valencia, and this was when Barcelona and Real Madrid had strong sides, and he won the title not once but twice with Valencia. So he'd already laid down a marker as to what he could do. Uh, Liverpool, he won the Champions League with a team that, you know, you look at and it had some stars in it, but by and large, you know, was not uh, a team of the quality you would expect to win a Champions League. Got to another final of the Champions League, managed to go into a situation at Chelsea where he wasn't a popular appointment by any stretch of the imagination, won another trophy there. And this is a guy that is very... A- able to very, very quickly get his ideas across and able to organise the team, able to get them playing the way that he wants almost immediately. And I think we're seeing that with Everton already. And also, Kevin, if he isn't able to get
3: to perfection straight away, he will find a way of playing that suits the players that he's got for now and develop yeah. a system later on, which, he, you know, that's his utopia. I'll get there eventually. But in the meantime... I'm not going to moan about the resources I've got. I'm not going to sit there and complain about the fact that I can't play in the way that I necessarily want to. I'm going to get the job done and then we'll build on that as we go forward. And I was talking to an Everton fan actually in midweek when we were away in Warsaw and, and, and the common consensus is, you know, say it quietly because it doesn't go down particularly well, but it's probably the best appointment they could have hoped for at this time. He is a very, very accomplished manager and he's also got skin as thick as a rhino. I mean, he does not care. He'll get booed, he'll get jeered. They'll say this and they'll say that. But ultimately, he has confidence in his own ability to turn it round. And so he should, because his record dictates that that will probably be the case. Kevin, have a good rest of the week. Thank you very much for stepping into the breach. I mean, it just shows, like, you know, we are like England. We've got such great talent, strength in depth. We can call up people from everywhere. Um, Despite the fact that uh, Darren Lewis has... Looks a little bit edgy. Is it, do you think he's in quarantine? Is that what we're guessing? <laughs> I don't know what's happened to him. He's been I'm banned by the Brazilian now. FA. That was it. That's Sorry. what it is. Yeah, yeah, Does yeah. that
2: make me the Patrick Bamford of this squad? Is that what it is? <laughs> I've come in for the game against Andorra. I like to think I did okay. <laughs> yeah.
4: more, sort of. more of a David Nugent, Kevin, I think. Oh, I'll take that. He scored on his that. debut, Good didn't player. he? Yeah, scored on his yeah, debut. I'll
2: take that. Uh, Crookie, are you going
4: to
3: be sunning yourself for the rest of the day at Butlin's? I am,
4: I've just been uh, delivered a a nice can of uh, Brewdog, so I'm going to sit and finish that and pretend I'm still working hide for the kids for a bit longer, and then we're going to
3: brave the Rapids. Such a great dad Right, okay, I'll speak to you later on it is the TalkSport game day returning on Saturday uh, with uh, three live commentaries, we've got Crystal Palace against Tottenham at 12.30, at 3 o'clock on TalkSport 2 it's Arsenal against Norwich, and then at 5.30 it is Chelsea against Aston Villa, we will keep you in touch with Ronaldo's returning around grounds which starts at 2.30 with Adrian Durham make sure you download the podcast and get in touch on social media as well this is the game day podcast from TalkSport
0: the Premier League all-access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes the latest odds we set them Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be org. T's and C's apply.